Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Wednesday, March 8th. Welcome back to the Island College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and we got a lot to get to, including the end of the Johnny Jones era at LSU. And we'll touch on the past few nights of championship week as well, uh, which have just been a blast. Some good stories there, especially uh, the Steve Forbes story at ETSU and the Mike Dom story at uh, South Dakota State. But I wanted to start with some breaking news from uh, Wednesday morning, and that is that Josh Jackson, uh, the Kansas Star, is going to be suspended for the Jayhawks' first Big 12 tournament game because of another incident involving him in a car. Norlander, you wrote about this. I was on a plane this morning. What exactly uh, did Josh Jackson do this time? Well, okay, so this is what this appears to be from the from outside looking in. You know, Kansas has had, and we've talked about this on the podcast frequently, maybe not even enough. There have been plenty of reasons to, uh, to discuss Kansas on and off the floor this year, but its players keep getting into these random off-the-court issues involving law enforcement or specifically, like, receiving traffic citations. So this one seems to be that... He simply backed into a car on campus, didn't leave a note, was cited for it. This happened more than a month ago. He just told, Jackson just told Self about this on Monday. And because of this, Self has suspended Jackson for the first game of the Big 12 tournament. Now, there was the issue with Jackson damaging um, uh, Kansas women's basketball player's car back in December. Uh, after that woman you know, allegedly threw a drink in LeGerald Vick's face, and that created a whole a- other issue. After after LeGerald Vick allegedly hit her last yes. in, in December 2015, that sh- right. should be noted that, as well, right? right. Without it, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, this, uh, the tangled web that's been woven here, and so there's been a lot that's been written, rightfully so. Self has rightfully come under plenty of criticism, but the father of that women's player said, hey, my daughter, she was suspended. She was not allowed to use team facilities. Um, what was Josh Jackson suspended for? And is there a double standard here? And if uh, I want some answers. And, and some reporting in the Kansas City Star as of recently has addressed all of that. And it brought to light Jackson's lack of punishment from a public perspective because Bill Self has said he would keep all that stuff, quote, in-house. Now this happens. Jackson is suspended. It's only for a game. Um, Kansas is a really good team. I'd still pick them to win the tournament if they're at full strength with their roster. But it's just between this and, like, Devontae Graham failed to appear in court for a a traffic citation that he had. Carlton Bragg was suspended because drug paraphernalia was found in his dorm room. And, by the way, that paraphernalia was only found after authorities basically sweep the dorm because there is an ongoing investigation about an alleged rape of an underage girl that happened in the dorm room or the dorm um, dormitory where Kansas players reside not just Kansas players or other students there as well so it's been it's been a weird season for Kansas and there's there's plenty of negative stuff that's that's you know been right alongside all the winning the team has done yeah and you know uh, yeah I heard Bill say at some point like you know, they've overcome a lot of distractions. And that's true, but, like, let's be clear, they're self-inflicted distractions. I mean, it's just, I don't know that there's been anything crazy, but, well, I mean, uh, 
the report that Legero Vic like allegedly struck a woman like that's right. that's kind of crazy. Uh, like you know that it, it was unknown for a while, and the school has never made any specific comment about it. Bill's never made any specific comment about it, but. Also, nobody's denied that it's happened, far as I know. Like, I haven't heard LeGerald Vick ever say, I didn't do what it's reported that I did. Um, so I'm just going to assume that it probably went down the way that um, it's been reported it, it went down. So that that's obviously a serious thing. And the sexual assault is undeniably a serious thing. But there's no evidence at this point that it's actually tied to a men's basketball player. It's just that it happened at a place where men's basketball players live that's at least our understanding at this point but it it has been one thing after another after another after a number and um it is sort of remarkable that they've been able to keep winning at this rate despite all of this stuff because uh, sometimes things like this do derail basketball teams maybe not derail perhaps that's overstating it but uh, certainly can lead to i don't know a lack of focus if nothing else yeah and so here we are in march and this is something that, especially like when we get to the tournament, um, you know, Self will be asked about this. All the players will be asked about this. This is not going to go away just in terms of everything that's gone on. And even if they want to deflect and try and keep it on topic, doesn't mean that they won't continually get asked about it. And if they want to try and stop them, <laughs> stop reporters from asking about it, that's not going to be successful either. Um, you know, it's just it, it is unusual uh, to have a team this prominent, uh, you know, on the short list of of most likely, you know, national title winners, uh, just continually have all this crap happening. It just it just feels like self has lost a little bit of control of the team only in regard to like you just have guys that keep like getting into these incidents and having traffic citations and. You know, we're not seeing that with Kentucky. We're not seeing that with UCLA. We're not seeing that with Duke or Carolina or any of that stuff. And it just seems to be compounded with this program. And it is, it is unusual. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how they play in the tournament this week, and we'll see how much self gets asked about it. But yeah, that's the you know, as we start this podcast and recording here, right as, by the way, tournament play is getting ready to roll here. You know, daytime hoops and all that stuff. But that's uh, that's you know. The headline that kicks off Wednesday. No, and it'll be, you know, Kansas is going to have to figure out how they're going to address this publicly because, um, you know, when you're just operating in your local environment with, with mostly local media, like, I don't know, I, you don't face the same type of questions you might face at a Big 12 tournament or at a uh, regional uh, when somebody shows up who's got no connection to college basketball at all. Just wants to just wants to ask you questions about what's going on within your program, um, and all the cameras are on you, rolling live. And so, if you answer something uh, uncomfortably, like that's going to end up on television. So they they probably need to put in a prep session uh, because uh, I, I'm assuming Bill's going to face some some questions about this stuff uh, while sitting up on a stage with a microphone in his face and, and cameras pointed at him. And uh, you, you always want to make sure you handle uh, that correctly. And if he tries to deflect it too much, um, I don't know how well that's going to go over. So it'll be interesting. It's just another story connected to, uh, like you said, one of the big brands in college basketball. Let me tell you about SeatGeek real, uh, real quickly. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has uh, been a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for the game or the concert or the show uh, that you want to go to because you don't know where to go. 
Uh, there's different sites, different prices, different fees. You don't know if you're getting the best tickets. You don't know if you're getting the best price for those tickets. Uh, but SeatGeek came along and they changed the game because what they're going to do is search multiple ticket sites for you, handle price comparison for you uh, to make sure uh, you're getting the best seats, uh, that you're getting the best price. Uh, they're going to do all the work for you uh, and you're going to save time and money. And you're going to use the College BB promo code. That's a promo code College BB when you purchase tickets. And they're going to send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So here's what you need to do. Go download the SeatGeek app. Go download the SeatGeek app or just go to uh, SeatGeek.com. Purchase tickets to whatever. It doesn't have to be college basketball. NBA, Major League Baseball is about to get started. You want to go to a baseball game? Just go to SeatGeek. Purchase your tickets. Use the promo code COLLEGEBB. And then SeatGeek is going to send you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. We get tweets now. Uh, I know I get them. I, I think you do as well from people like basically every day saying, yo, just use the College BB promo code. So thank you for doing that. That is an, uh, a very obvious way to to let SeatGeek know that uh, you guys are listening and and uh, and that their advertising dollars are paying off. And for those of you who haven't yet, uh, use the College BB promo code. Uh, use it next time you're buying tickets. That's at SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. So it's championship week. That's what they branded, at least. And uh, it's been fun the past few nights. Like on Monday night, we see East Tennessee State punch its ticket at Steve Forbes in just his second year as a Division I head coach going to the NCAA tournament. And then last night, South Dakota State wins the Summit League title. Mike Don goes for 37-12. and T.J. Otzelberger, his first uh, year as a Division I head coach, headed to the NCAA tournament. Dom got 37-12. and who tried to tell you about Mike Don back in October, Norlander? Who? Do you know who? Yeah, I told you about him. You're like, oh, that sounds pretty interesting. I think I'll write about it. So you're welcome, buddy. That is not the way that went down. That's not what happened. Is that what happened? I don't believe that's what happened. Yeah, that definitely no. <laughs> uh, I could, I could, I could keep keep the ruse up, but no, you uh, you were on the <laughs> Dom, you were on the Dom train, and uh, between my Nate Walters affinity from a few years ago and, and your uh, getting on the Dom train early, we've got South Dakota State covered to a T. We're basically jackrabbits. We're sitting here like jack. We are jackrabbits. That's right. I love South Dakota State jackrabbits. <laughs> it's a top 10 nickname. There's no doubt about it. But you know what's up there as well is the Norse. What is a Norse? people? I, I don't even know what's going on with that. Like I, I, I love, I love, John Brandon punched his ticket, former Alabama assistant, going to the NCAA tournament. I don't have any idea what a Norse is. What, what is happening with that? Come on now. I'm telling you the Come truth. On. I don't know what that is. You, you realize you're speaking to Nor- to a Norlander right now, right? You, Norse. Hey. It's, it's, it's those from the north, from Scandinavia, Norwegian. You know the Viking type. Now, what those people are doing in the middle of Kentucky—I didn't realize the northern part of <laughs> Kentucky existed. Let's not get into technicalities here, okay? Like, listen, I'm all in favor of I, of of um, nicknames that don't end in S. So you got the Norse, which ends in E. You got you know the Phoenix. There's only like eleven or twelve of them. You got the Wolf Pack, the Cardinal, you know, Cardinal, exactly. So there's only uh, there's not that many of them. So I'm all in favor of uh, of mixing it up like that. But it has been fun. Listen, we talked about the the issues with small conferences, GP, and and the tournament setup and all that. Um, the NEC does it right, in my opinion. Uh, the Mount St. Mary's got their auto bid, and what the NEC does is the higher seed always gets the home game. It just adapts to however the bracket breaks. So if you're the higher seed in the game, you're playing your game on campus. When you're in a small league like that, though, it's almost like that's how you need to do it to be able to sell all the tickets, as opposed to putting it on a neutral floor but it's been fun because uh, SDSU is there for the fourth time in six years 
uh, Northern Kentucky is there for the first time. Um, Gonzaga obviously got the auto bid. Who am I forgetting? There was another. Uh, who am I forgetting? There was another one that was interesting. I can't remember. It's been good. We've got 11 bids now officially clinched and locked up. Uh, so let me make sure I got this right. Because they're from Northern Kentucky, they think they get to be the Norse. Yes. Dude, I'm from North Mississippi. That doesn't mean I'm from the North. It just means I'm from the top of Mississippi. I understand, but just, just roll with it, man. Listen, there are so many, there are so many mascots and and monikers that don't correlate with the geographical location of the schools they come from. When was the last time that you saw a wildcat walking around Lexington? You're not you're not seeing that. I live in Connecticut. I don't see bobcats hanging around Quinnipiac's campus. Dude, all right, we got the Memphis Grizzlies. You're not gonna, you're not gonna see a grizzly. <laughs> I know. Well, that's because they were used to be the Vancouver Grizzlies, and so up, you know, in Canada, it made some sense. And then, for whatever reason, they just decided to keep the name, which I always thought was really weird. But yeah, there's GP. There's so many of those. Really, like, there's not orange people walking around Syracuse these days. You know, that's, well, that's just well, I don't know. That could be true. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. It, uh, you think there's some bears rambling around Waco? <laughs> or bears rambling around Los Angeles near Hollywood, Westwood. That ain't happening, you know. So it's it's just a, like some work, like the Wisconsin Badgers. That that makes sense. The Purdue Boilermakers. That makes sense. Um, never quite understood what a demon deacon is, but I'm just gonna go with it with Wake Forest. But yeah, we're going down a, a deep rabbit hole here. But you're right. There's. The, I the love North the of- I love the Jackrabbits. I love the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Oh, without a doubt. And I and I can only presume that there are just. Tons of jackrabbits up there near Brookings. Got, got to be millions, millions of jackrabbits. I'll tell you, I, I went to uh, Brookings uh, to see Mike Dom and went, uh, I landed in, I guess it was maybe Sioux Falls. I, I don't know. Sioux Falls sounds right. And like I was the only person on my plane. Like I, I think I, th- I flew Memphis to Atlanta, Atlanta to Sioux Falls. I think I was the only person on my plane not going there to hunt. Like everybody else was headed hunting. And I was like, what am, am I? Like, I, I felt like I was on another planet. It was like everybody was like at baggage claim getting their guns. <laughs> and I was just oh like, God. and I was just like carrying around a MacBook. I like, I felt, I never felt less manly in my in, entire life. But the Mike Dom story is, it really is remarkable for people who uh, watched him last night. He got 37 and 12 in the Summit League uh, title game, uh, which was a, a great game, like a fun game, back and forth, back and Very forth, big shot making. So he finishes with 37 and 12, right? Well, his story is, and you know, people like the rail against summer basketball and AAU basketball all the time. Who was the person recently that said it ruined everything? Oh, Garnett. Kevin Garnett, right? And like, listen, there were some valid criticisms of, of the summer circuit and the way that whole thing has uh, turned into what it's turned into. Uh, but one of the things it does also do is create opportunities that otherwise wouldn't be there. And the Mike Dom story is a, a perfect example of that. He played for, you know, like a, 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 a perfectly reasonable summer program, but it, it you know, it, it wasn't the Compton magic. It wasn't the, you know, team penny. It wasn't uh, the Mac Irvin fire. It wasn't one of those EYBL teams or one of the big boy teams. But he happened to be playing in the Las Vegas Invitational, which is an event you and I both go to every summer. And they were in one of the gyms, and he happened to be playing against a team that had Taco Fall. And so when you have somebody who's like seven foot six, is that what he is? Yeah. When you have yeah. somebody who's like, there's going to be Division One coaches in there. And so there were coaches there from South Dakota State 
watching somebody. It wasn't it wasn't Taco Fall, and it was, certainly wasn't Mike Dom. They'd never heard of Mike Dom. But they just happened to be in the gym for this game watching somebody. And Mike hit like 11 or 12 three-pointers in the game. And so suddenly he's like a 6'9 guy who's knocking down 11, 12 three-pointers in one game. And so the coaches are like, well, you know, well, this is interesting. Like, let, let's get him on campus. And so they offered him. And he had no other Division One offers. I think ultimately he did get a couple more. But he was so far off the radar. Like, no D1 offers. So then, based off of this one game, this one random game in Las Vegas, that, that he, like, the schedule makers of that tournament, the Las Vegas Invitational, had as much to do with Mike Dom ending up at South Dakota State than anybody else. Because unless the schedule was presented in that particular way, those coaches are not in the uh, not in the gym, so they offer him. He accepts. He enrolls, and then they get him on campus, and he's terrible. Like they they don't even they they think they misevaluated him. This was the former staff. They're like, well, like he's not good enough, so they redshirt him. And even in the redshirt year, it's just like they don't know. And and by the way, Mike told me this as well. He was like, I didn't know if I would ever be able to play at this level. I was like, I was like, what do you mean, like, like play well, like do what you're doing now? He said, like, no, 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 no. I mean, like play, like get on the court. Once I got here, I was like, oh man, I, I don't know if I belong here. And then something just clicked for him in his redshirt freshman year, which was last year. He came off the bench, but his points per forty minutes, I think, led the nation. And uh, like he went from nothing to the preseason Summit League Player of the Year. He's obviously the postseason Summit League Player of the Year. Um, and last night got 37 and 12 in a title game to send his school to the NCAA tournament. I mean, like what? A, like that's some legendary stuff. Like that's some Nate Walter stuff. And so, oh, yeah. and so the like, uh, you know, that, that's the good side of summer basketball is that it does provide opportunities for for young people that otherwise just would not exist. If all he was was a high school basketball player, uh, that South Dakota State staff would have never even known he existed, much less seen him. But because he was playing on the summer circuit, even playing for a, a, a mostly irrelevant program uh, relative to national, like the big boys, and playing in a just an auxiliary gym in Las Vegas, one of a million games happening, because he had an amazing performance in front of some Division One coaches who weren't even there to see him, he ended up at a Division One school, and now he's headed to the NCAA tournament. That's pretty good, right? Pretty good, and that's uh, he'll be on the short list of, you know, this the guys from small schools that you need to watch in the tournament that could have big games he would be at the top of the list basically i think he's that capable um last time there was a you know like a really tall rugged white dude from a from a small team that could have been that good it's i almost feel like it was taylor coppenrath with vermont back in the day <laughs> right. 12 years ago or so it's, some parts of his game actually coppenrath was actually a little more rugged a little more close to the hoop and what he did but uh i see some uh some comparables there, and the, and the Shiner, he had that he had that black eye, man. It kind of added to his aura last night. That was kind of it was kind of badass, to be honest with you. So it was uh, it was cool. And now GP, I mean Wednesday night as we record this, the only auto bid that's going out is between Bucknell host Lehigh for the Patriot. Um, either team that wins there, I think, will have us a, a relative. Like I think either one's a good representative from that league. Lehigh was the preseason favorite. Bucknell's. Uh, very good. So we'll get something there. But now, I mean, we're recording this as Miami and Syracuse are playing. And right now it's Miami up early. I don't know. I mean, listen, people are going to get to this after this game is over. But I want to just say this real quick. Um, if Syracuse loses this game, I wouldn't put them in the field. 
Uh, they would only have two wins away from the Carrier Dome, and those wins are against NC State and Clemson, and neither of those teams are at large caliber. If Clemson is able to beat Duke, which I don't expect to happen, I don't actually think the game will even be close, um, then Clemson might have uh, distant bubble chances, but even still, I still don't think that's good enough for Syracuse. So winning against Miami, this one, this is the one game to me that feels like it has the most on the line among any major conference teams. But uh, but we'll see. I mean, because now we're, you know, as we record this, the, the big leagues are getting underway. Uh, a lot of bubble stuff to be determined over the next 48, 72 hours. Um, and just wrapping back around to the Mike Dom story, because it reminded me of something we talked about on the last podcast. You know, it stinks. And this is how we got into the conversation about is there a better way to handle one bid league tournaments. It stinks when we watch Belmont's great season go for nothing or Monmouth's great season go for nothing because they get upset in the uh, league tournament. Uh, but, you know, like I, like I said on that last podcast, um, for every one of those disappointing stories, like you get, a, you get an amazing story at its expense. And like the Mike Dom story doesn't happen if you don't have automatic bids. Um, connected to your league tournaments. And so, uh, yeah, like it, it, it sucks every time you watch one of those teams that have shown, you know, over, you know, over, over, you know, months that they're clearly the best team in the league. Uh, it sucks when they get bounced, but, uh, you know, there, there's always another great story that emerges at their uh, expense. Uh, another great story from championship week has been uh, East Tennessee State. How about when, how about this? When Steve Forbes and Bruce Pearl and Tony Jones and Jason Shea get fired at Tennessee, who would have ever imagined Steve Forbes would be the one to get a team back to the NCAA tournament before Bruce Pearl? Yeah, that's what I was trying to think about when I was trying to – I was like, there's one other good one. Yeah, Forbes in ETSU coming out of the SoCon. Good coach and uh, recently just got a raise, and that's a good team. That's could be potentially plenty dangerous, and yes, it is – uh, you'll probably see that written in the next week, if not, uh, you know, we could write it, or I just, and just in general, just because he was on the staff that got yep. fired, and he, you know, most notably, he beats Bruce Pearl back to the NCAA tournament, and Forbes, um, he's not, he's not a stranger to the tournament. He was on Greg Marshall's staff at Wichita State as recently as two years ago, so he has experienced uh, plenty in March, and we'll have that team ready to go. Yeah, so his story is, you know, long time, I don't want to say career assistant because he's a head coach, but a little bit like Brad Underwood in the sense that he had, he was just an assistant forever and ever and ever. Juco background, so, you know, the, the, he's got that. Uh, I, I believe Brad's also got a Juco background. And so uh, ends up on the staff with Bruce Pearl at Tennessee, and they're rolling, right? I mean, they're like NCAA tournament after NCAA tournament after NCAA tournament. And then, of course, the famous cookout, Aaron Kraft, the photograph. And they all get called into uh, – uh, they're going to meet with NCAA investigator. And I don't know if, if, if casual college basketball fans under, understand the details, but when they went in to speak with the NCAA investigator on the morning of, they had no idea that picture existed. Like, they just didn't know. They thought they were there to talk about phone calls and excessive text messages or just, like, minor stuff. And about, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes before it's like, okay, you're going to talk to this NCAA person, uh, the uh, the lawyer for Tennessee says, oh, by the way, there's this picture of Bruce and Aaron Kraft they're probably going to ask you about. It's like, what? So they're scrambling. They don't know what to do. Because, like, clearly it's a real picture. But, like, do you admit to it? Do you 
try to lie about it? Do you try to say it's Photoshop? What do you do? And I won't get into the details, but basically um, they decided they're going to try to get, you know, like, hey, let's just deny, deny. We don't know anything about it. We don't know anything about it. Uh, now, if they would have known about that photograph in time to, to prepare, what a lawyer would have told them is it's a secondary violation. Just admit to it. Take whatever penalty they give you and whatever. It's not that big of a deal. But they were they, they were so blindsided by this that um, basically the instructions to the staff were don't admit to anything. And so Forbes was the first person to talk to the NCAA. They all talked that day, but Forbes went in first. And, is, and you're faced with you know a dilemma. What do you do? If you rat on your head coach, because by the way, um, oftentimes when programs get in trouble, it's because of an assistant coach. It's because of, you know, like an ops guy or whatever. This was Bruce Pearl's house, Bruce Pearl's cookout, Bruce Pearl's recruit, Bruce Pearl in the picture. Like it was all connected to Bruce. But, you know, if you try to just, you know, you can't rat on your coach. You'll never work again. But the alternative to ratting on your coach is get hit with a show cause which means you're out of work. And so they just like stood there and like, you know, just deflected and denied and shrugged their shoulders and whatever. And then ultimately they all get fired. And though Bruce got a million dollar buyout from Tennessee, Forbes and Shea and Tony Jones got basically nothing and like didn't even get their lawyer fees handled. And Jason Shea and Steve Forbes ended up having to go to Northwest Florida State, a junior college where their salaries were slashed. I want to say like they both went from making in excess of $250,000 a year to like well under $100,000 a year. I think with Shea, it was like under $40,000 a year. And I know there are people listening right now who make that and less than that. And that's not the point. The point is when you have a lifestyle change that drastic, it can really like, it, it creates some, some difficult things, but he goes down to this junior college and just kills it for a couple of years waiting for his show calls to expire. I think went to national championship game twice. Had Chris Jones, who ultimately went on to play at Louisville. And then Greg Marshall throws him a lifeline. Because at that point, he was still a guy who had NCAA stuff in his past. And even though it had literally nothing to do with him, nothing. It wasn't his house, wasn't him in the picture, wasn't his recruit, nothing. Um, it's still like it's still a part of your story. And so he needed a coach who had enough clout on his own campus to, to tell his athletic director, this is what I want to do. And and you need to let me do it. And Greg Marshall was that guy. And so he went there and was a part of, of those amazing situations at Wichita State, thanks to Fred Van Vliet, Ron Baker, and the rest of that roster. And then he got the opportunity at East Tennessee State. And when he got that job, um, bef you know, after the 2000, I guess it would have been 14-15 season, he enrolled 10 players before the start of the season. 10 new guys. Went out and recruited JUCOs, and transfers, and all sorts of people. Enrolled 10 new guys and flipped it. Won 24 games last year. And now, uh, you know, after tying for the league title in the regular season, um, but not being the number one seed, uh, actually gets an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament by winning the Southern Conference Tournament title game. And has got ETSU back in the NCAA tournament uh, in just his second year. It's like a pretty remarkable story. And the idea that he was able to... Uh, get East Tennessee State back to the NCAA tournament before Bruce Pearl was able to get Auburn to the NCAA tournament is also fairly interesting.
It is. You basically covered all of it. I mean, it is a really interesting story. Forbes is a good dude, a fun guy, a good coach, and you know he will certainly have an option uh, this year or next if ETSU is good again at, at getting a bigger job because he has clearly established his, his reputation and, and capability as a, a really good recruiter and a really good coach. So uh, a team to watch, they'll very much be dependent on the kind of matchup they get with the kind of school they get. Um, but but uh, but a fun story regardless. And uh, meantime, there has been some coaching uh, development news. Uh, it is being reported that uh, Johnny Jones is is going to be out at LSU as soon as the Tigers lose uh, in the SEC tournament. I would assume that would be today because like they have to play today, and usually when they play, they lose. So like you just add it up, the season will probably be over today. Um, no surprise. Like that's one of those like in terms of the power conference jobs, there were at least two that everybody on the planet knew were going to open. Uh, one was Missouri, already opened, and the other was uh, LSU, which is now going to open. And I saw you tweet, I guess it was yesterday, um, that one name you could see getting involved there would be Kermit Davis. He's a former LSU assistant, obviously killing it at Middle Tennessee. Um, it's been weird that he hasn't gotten um, you know, the big, big opportunity. I think he had an opportunity at Southern Miss a few years ago and just decided to pass on that, I think, wisely. Uh, you know, all things considered. Uh, yeah. But uh, it looks like he's going to finally get an opportunity after this year, I would think, because, uh, like I've said before, there's always more good jobs than there are good candidates, and he looks like a really good candidate for any SEC job, whether it's LSU, um, whether it's Missouri, whether it's, uh, you know, if, if Ben Hallen pops to somewhere else, maybe North Carolina State. If Mississippi State opens, like Kermit is a Mississippi native. So, uh, yeah, he makes sense at LSU, but he makes sense at a lot of different places. I could, um, if I were betting, I would bet that he might not be Middle Tennessee's coach next year. Yeah, I think that should happen, to be honest, for the better. And listen, he's done a great job with Middle, but he's he's deserving of a chance here um, at, at a bigger job. Now, the interesting thing with Kermit is I think he's now 57, but that does not mean – that LSU and GP, I'm calling this column idea. If okay, I'm I'm calling dibs on this. Um, just because he's 57 doesn't mean that LSU shouldn't consider hiring or should not hire him. And there might be other candidates. They, maybe they chase someone like Buzz Williams who can recruit in that area really well, and they just they make a call to him or they or, or other people. I get that. There'll be a number of candidates. But for me, Kermit just seems like a a really good fit, a natural fit. I know he would take that job, and. Age should not be a factor here because, one, he seems like a young 57. Two, you can even look at how coaches these days are thriving well into their 60s, approaching their 70s. And if you want a recent example, I'm watching a guy right now as we record this podcast because there were a lot of people that said Miami was a swing and a miss when it decided to hire away Jim Laranega from a job that's about at the level that Middle Tennessee is. And they said, what is Miami doing? Getting a guy like that into the South, that old. He should go to Florida, retire, and not to coach a new basketball team. So his age, in my opinion, should not be a, a detrimental factor. Um, but we'll see who LSU chases. I happen to think just he would be a really good fit. I actually think that you know he could go there for 10 to 12 years, be really good, get LSU into the tournament. He would be at near, if not at the top of my list. 57 is not old for a college basketball coach. And it's it's weird. I think we've talked about this before. There does seem to be a certain age uh, in college football 
where when you hit it, like the greats fall off. You know, whether it's it was Paterno once upon a time, Bobby Bowden once upon a time, Steve Spurrier more recently. Like the game changes so much that for whatever reason, um, it, it's difficult to adapt. But in, in college basketball, that is not the case at all. I'm not saying the game doesn't change, but like uh, the greats are still the greats. Like it's not just, you know, we have six, I think, active Naismith Hall of Fame coaches. And they're all still operating at the highest level of the sport. I mean, Jim Beheim, Rick Pitino, uh, Roy Williams, Mike Krzyzewski, um, John Calipari, Tom Izzo. Like, they're all still operating. Like, they're not just, like, running big programs, but they've kind of slipped a little bit. Like, they're running big programs as well as they've ever run big programs. And that's, that's among the reasons I would never hesitate to hire somebody if I thought they were great. Um, late 50s, early 60s, because uh, what we're seeing, whether it's Kay or, or Rick, or, or you can go into your late 60s, even into your 70s, and still run a program at a high level, at least a college basketball program. I don't know if you can do it in football, but you can do it in basketball. You can. And, well, you know, as we start to take stock of, of who, uh, who are the legitimate candidates, had a number of, of gigs here, GP. Um, listen, there's something to be said. If you want to get an energetic young coach that you think is promising, you know, mid to late 30s. I totally get that. I don't I don't begrudge you for that. And in fact, more assistants probably should be getting looks. Um, but there's something to be said for about sitting head coaches that have so clearly, you know, shown an ability to win uh, over an extended period of time. And middle, I think, is it's got to win one game in the CUSA tournament. I think its overall resume and the traditional numbers that the committee uses, I think it's going to be strong enough that if it doesn't slip up with its first Conference USA game, I think it's going to get in no matter what. So you'll have back-to-back uh, tournament appearances for Kermit there. He made it 2013 as well. Um, in terms of the LSU job overall, it's an intriguing job because it's in the middle of football country. But actually, you know, coaches in the greater South um, believe that that job is, is, is one that has a lot of potential given the amount of talent around it. Um, something of a sleeping giant, so to speak, should be a honestly should be a program that should be top four in the SEC on sort of an annual basis. It has not been that. So if you get the right coach in there that can recruit and um, and run a program effectively, yes, you can be a top-tier SEC program. It's just a matter of getting the right hire. And so now, now we'll wait and see. I think it's a, I think it's a potentially fascinating hire, um, and we'll see who they who they target. So. Well, my understanding is at LSU what they're trying to figure out right now, like the first step, is like what are they going to pay? Are they going to be somebody who goes over three million dollars a year for a coach? Or are they going to be somebody who goes 1.5 for a coach? Because once you decide that, that dictates who you're going to go target. Like if you're going to go above $3 million, pick up the phone and call Greg Marshall. Pick up the phone and call Buzz Williams. Make them tell you no. Maybe look at Scott Drew. See if he's ready to pop. Yeah, that was – yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just – sorry to interrupt you, GP. I, I saw Drew's name tossed out there. I don't know if that would uh, be a great fit. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I'd be surprised, though, I think, if he left uh, Baylor for LSU. I – I mean, listen, Baylor's got plenty of money. They can pay him whatever they need to pay him. And if uh, I'm a big believer in, like, don't stay somewhere too long unless you're a Hall of Famer because eventually, like, uh, you know, fans get – it just – it. look what happened to Jamie Dixon at Pitt. You know, like, it just starts to turn on you. They stop appreciating you even if you're great relative to historical standards for your specific school. Um, and yet I might think Scott's the exception to that. Like, I think Scott just fits at Baylor. I think the whole thing works pretty well. 
Um, I would be. I it would really have to be something nice for me to to think that Scott should leave Baylor uh, under these. Like he's at the play. He's at a point now where like they can name the court after him. Like I mean, yes. they, like he's at the point now he could retire someday. They name the court after him. And to walk away from that, from for anything other than like a top shelf job, I don't know. And this again, this runs counter to what, how I would usually advise coaches. But it seems like I don't know if Scott's a hall of ever going to be a hall of famer, but he like is a Baylor Hall of Fame coach. He's, like, he's you know like what Mike Bray at Notre Dame. Mike Bray's been there seventeen years. He's right. not taking another job at this point, and you know. Just it seems to fit really well. That's all. Right, and so like, uh, well, you know, if LSU wants to put that kind of money on the table, like if you want to talk to Scott, talk to him. Greg Marshall, make him tell you no. Uh, Buzz Williams, make him tell you no. But if they're not going to go that kind of money, then we settle into Kermit Davis, another name, Eric Musselman, who just won the outright yeah. Mountain West uh, Conference. He, you know, he was a, an LSU assistant only for a year, but like he has been there before. And I just, I think, I think Muss is really good. Like he's. Um, like he's turned that Nevada thing around pretty quickly, and uh, that's a Nevada team that can win a game in the NCAA tournament, I think. And so, uh, I mean, obviously they got to get there, they got to win the Mountain West Conference tournament. But like, if they get in the NCAA tournament, I think they're good enough to win in advance. Um, so that's like, once LSU figures out if they're going to go above three million a year or around one point five million a year, then you figure out who you're going after. But um, if they ended up with Kermit or Eric, um, I think they'd be happy. Uh, with either one um any games you're looking forward to wednesday night well okay let's yeah let's just hit this real quick here um i i mean i i, I personally i want to watch the lehigh bucknell final because i always like uh watching the bit on the line and um patriot league can usually be pretty fun um I actually don't think. See, I normally I would just go. I'm going to the city tomorrow, uh, Thursday, to be at the ACC and Big East tournament. And I didn't go today. One in part because I knew we had to do this podcast. It would have just been uh, more difficult than normal. But two, I wasn't like Miami Syracuse is intriguing, but at the same time, I was like, it's not worth it going into Brooklyn there. So I don't think that there's a ton of great here. I do want to mention that um, Cal is out of the tournament if it loses to Oregon State, which it shouldn't. But even with a win over Oregon State, that's a 5:30 tip Eastern. Um, I still think Cal needs another win to, to better itself. Palm is higher on Cal than I am. I would not have them in the tournament at this point. Um, Xavier absolutely cannot lose to DePaul. <laughs> and I don't think Xavier will. That's a 9:30 tip on Wednesday night. Uh, X-Men should be able to get that win. But I'll just, I'll just check over to that to see how they're doing. Um USC would be well advised not to lose to Washington. Um, it's just it's just a spot here. I think, where teams I, th- I think everybody would be well advised not to lose to Washington, without a doubt. And uh, that's good. Wonder, that's good advice for any basketball team. <laughs> I know. I know. I wonder if Fultz will even play in that game. So I actually don't think it's a it's a great uh, it's a great day overall. Now tomorrow will set up uh, amazingly, and tomorrow's got tons of good stuff on tap. And the Big Twelve tournament really gets going. You know, Oklahoma State, Iowa State will be a lot of fun. But what I wanted to toss at you was. I shot a video earlier this week for CBS Sports. I just kind of just was like, all right, I'm just going to pick the six tournament winners. So I already know my six, but I wanted to ask, you know, just for fun, like give me the traditional big six leagues. Who would you pick right now to win it all? Norlander, I only talk about the power five. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> Shout out to Devin Downey and Terry Teagle in Chester, South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, because those things are connected. Okay, here we go. Here we let's just. I'm gonna uh, rapid fire. You're gonna go, go. ACC. 
Duke. Okay, Big 12. Kansas. Big 10. Purdue. Big East. Villanova. I got you, by the way. Traditional Big Six Leagues. Uh, SEC. Oh, I take back my Villanova pick. You can't. It's done. We will talk. SEC. We will talk about the Big East after we're through with the Power Five if we have time. Okay. I'm just kidding. SEC. <laughs> Villanova in the Big East. Um, SEC, Kentucky. Okay. Pac-12. UCLA. Okay. I'm going Villanova in the Big East. I'm going Florida in the SEC. No, you can't beat Kentucky. Let's have a little fun, okay? That's not Probably. fun. That's silliness. You, have you ever been to the SEC tournament? In, I have not. In, I know. In Nashville? Yeah, Atlanta and all this stuff. Dude, it's ridiculous. It, it's like a, it's, it's like a road game for everybody not named it, Kentucky. It totally is. I get it. Totally. Without a doubt. Uh, I'm going to go Arizona in the Pac-12. I'm going to go Wisconsin in the Big Ten because I think that tournament's going to be the weirdest one. I think there's just going to be some bizarre games. Like Michigan's gonna like make the title game. I almost something. picked Michigan. Like that's the that's like yeah, there's just yeah. In fact, I I I, I want to adjust my pick. I'm going with Michigan. Okay, okay. Um, I will go Louisville in the ACC. And by the way, if that does happen, Louisville might have a an outside shot, an outside shot. Things other things would have to break, but they might slip onto the one line. But everything would have to break perfectly, and then. Again, let's have a little fun. I will say Iowa State wins the Big 12 tournament. So, because this thing is like, we were talking about how these leagues, in terms of the regular season stuff, perish. Um, they largely fell the way that we thought that they would. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that the tournaments will. I just, I think it's inevitable. Um, there's, you know, there's just too much at play here. We always get some fun, random results. And, um, and what I'd love to see, though, I'd love to see you know, at least one of those six leagues get a team that has no shot at an at large into the title game, because that at least always brings a fun, unexpected, you know, dose of urgency and intrigue. It doesn't happen every year, but uh, when you can occasionally get just this, you know, 9, 10, 11 seed in a, in a given league, and actually the ACC wouldn't qualify this year because their nine seed is Miami and they're going to the tournament. Um, but when you can get like a total wild card that just catches fire and winds up in the in the championship game... That's uh, pretty cool. So I'm kind of rooting for that, but um, but we'll see. Another team that could end up on the one line that's not there right now, UCLA. Like uh, yes. if they're 28, they have to win the Pac-12. Tournament yes, they would. Do. Yes, they would have to. But they would be, I believe, 31 and three. It would probably include an additional win over Arizona and an additional win over Oregon, because like the Pac-12 is the most top-heavy big league in the country like it's got they got three great teams and then and then it's like whatever and then the bottom is garbage so like either ucla oregon or arizona is going to win this thing if ucla is to win it would probably include more victories over uh arizona and oregon and they would have a resume that starts to look very much like a number one seed uh resume even relative to you know gonzaga's which is right now penciled in as a one seed thanks to winning the west coast conference tournament title uh, on Tuesday night. So, oh, keep it. I don't know if Oregon can get there. I don't know if Arizona can get there. But UCLA at thirty-one and three, um, and having beaten everybody on their schedule, that's pretty unique about them. Right. Uh, their three losses are Oregon, Arizona, and USC. But they've also beaten Oregon, Arizona, and USC. I think UCLA and Gonzaga are the only teams in America who have beaten everybody who's on their schedule. And so uh, UCLA, if they end up 31-3, and three, uh, could also end up on that one line, uh, especially if North Carolina bows out early in the ACC tournament or Villanova were to bow out early 
uh, in the Big East tournament. Uh, one last thing before we get out of here. Since we've been talking, uh, Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith has released a statement just confirming that, yes, Thad Mata is going to coach Ohio State next season. There had been some speculation that he might retire or they might fire him because obviously things aren't going well right now at Ohio State. But Thad will be back at Ohio State next year, and that makes sense to me. Like When you've done everything he's done there, and I'm not a big believer on your past uh, should guarantee your future. Like, hey, I used to be really good, so like, you can't fire me because ultimately, like, it's all about what direction you've got your program headed for the most part. Um, but like, God, he's done so much there. I, 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 I don't know what it would say if if, if a guy like that, who's also endured a lot of off the court health stuff, um, if he didn't have an opportunity to try to turn this thing back around, like that, I, I don't know that I'd be a fan of that. So it's I'm. I like to see Gene Smith go ahead and put that to rest. Thad Mata is going to be coaching Ohio State next year. Yeah, he should. Now, a little bit of perspective here. I know people like Ohio State's a football school. Don't get me wrong, but uh, Mata has just you know altered Ohio State. I mean, it, he, he's been there 13 years, and in six of those 13 years, he was a top two seed in the tournament. So um, they're going to miss the tournament for the second straight year. That's never happened before under Mata. And the last time that happened, Ohio State actually fired its coach. But this is obviously a program, though. Football is first at that school. High expectations, rightfully so. Um, but, yeah, Mata, I'm, I'm, I think that this is the right thing. I, it would have been way too hasty, in, in my opinion, um, unless, you know, health concerns had really, truly pushed him away. He's got, uh, he's got essentially drop foot. He, uh, my father actually kind of suffers from uh, something of the same deal. And it's, uh, it's not fun to live with, without a doubt. But... Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, well, one, I thought Ohio State was going to be good this year, at like five seed good. So I was, I was off on that. Uh, I'll probably, I'll probably push my chips in on that again for next season. Um, I think Mod is too good, and the potential with that roster, I still think that they would have a, a really good shot at clearing 20 wins next season, getting into the tournament. If we have another run like this, then yes, there will be a separation. I, I if you're telling me a year from now we're talking. Ohio State is an 18 and 13 team and, you know, flirting with the bubble, if not off of it, then I understand if, if Mata was going to step away or they were going to make a change in that regard. If just if the program was spinning its wheels, I get it. But let's just give it one more year here. I mean, this is only the first time he's ever missed the tournament in back to back seasons. And so with that, um, I think that's the right call by OSU. And hey, maybe maybe the Buckeyes are one of those teams that we were talking about. Maybe they randomly just play themselves into the Big Ten tournament and they're the team that winds up surprising everyone and giving us a little bit of urgency in that title game. Elsewhere in the Big Ten, there has been no such statement on Tom Crean, but uh, Greg Doyle, our, our, our buddy who used to work with the CBS, now the columnist Indianapolis Star, wrote a column earlier this week. I don't know if you saw it, but he basically said, uh, if you can bring Tom Crean back, you bring him back. Um, you don't, you know, he's won two of the past four outright Big Ten titles. Um, no, this isn't good, what's happened this year, but if you can bring him back, you bring him back. That doesn't guarantee that Tom won't leave uh, for another job, uh, but um, it doesn't guarantee anything. But like it is, it is always um, interesting to to see how the the columnists in particular cities, uh, particularly with passionate fan bases, uh, weigh in. And Greg Doyle, who who <laughs> like two years ago fired Tom Crean with a column. I don't know if you remember that one. Oh, yeah. It's like his first week on the job in Indianapolis. He fired Tom. Now he's uh, saying no, 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 no. Uh, you should keep Tom Crean for another year if you can. So. Uh, 
I don't know, just coaching carousel, carousel stuff that's not going to go away anytime soon. Remember, uh, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the uh, best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you again on Friday. Uh, till then, take care.